0: Uh, so about 10 years ago, uh, I was single and bored. And uh, so I decided to make an arc. Uh, and so I made this arc, uh, and it was about about three feet or so big, about like 18 inches wide. Uh, and really took up kind of because I liked woodworking, but I'd never done like something more fine like that. And so, uh, and so, and I built a lot of things in my shop. This is probably one of the more crowning, like it opened up like a dollhouse, the whole hole uh, would open up, and there were different layers in there uh, and uh, different pens for the animals. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, right. Uh, and, um, and so, that Christmas, uh, I drove this ark up to, uh, uh, to Fort Worth. Uh, visiting my brother and, uh, and sister-in-law and, the, at the time, the four nieces and nephews that I had then, uh, and, uh, and to give it to them for Christmas. And so they opened it up, and they were little, right, and they were like, they thought it was so cool, right? They thought it was awesome. Uh, and then I watched, uh, this thing took me like about eight to nine months to make, uh, because I was also working full-time, and so I, you know, would work my 10 hours of the week and then work the 40 on the ark. And... Um, <laughs> And anyhow, yeah. so I uh, um, so drove it up there, and, and they liked it. And then I watched them open a Nerf gun. And, and what do you think they played with the whole time? This stupid little Nerf gun, right, that like, was just this lame thing. They, they already had like a dozen of them anyways, you know. Uh, uh, but they opened that Nerf gun, and I watched them play with that the whole time. They, they liked the Ark, but they loved their little Nerf gun, right? And every, every like, boy in here right now is like, yeah, uh, Pastor Matt, you're an idiot. Uh, you could have just got them the Nerf gun, you know? Uh, but I bought a scroll saw. I bought a band saw. I bought a benchtop sander. Uh, I bought a drill press and just all the hardwoods included to make this. I spent, like, $1,500 at the end of the day. I was single. No one was holding me accountable, all right? And, uh, and all to make this thing. Only to give it to some toddler who might as well have been Godzilla as, you know, as they just, you know, because my brother called me later. He's like, hey, uh, how do you repair the, you know, and they just, they ripped this thing apart, right? At one little miniature mahogany support joist at a time. They just, uh, they just reamed that little sucker, uh, crushed it. And why tell you this? Well, this is the story of Ecclesiastes, that it's all vanity, Uh, That what we sometimes can set our heart to, our minds to, our labor to, can just be pointless sometimes. (laughs) Can just be like handing it over to somebody after all of our hard toil and work only to be ground into the second floor of a game room, right? Uh, And I mean, does this ever happen to you, right? You work super hard for something only to see it wash away like a sandcastle in high tide, you know, or you're just like this thing you've built up and it's just, maybe in 2008 <laughs> uh, or maybe in the past 18 months, you've seen something like that, like a, like, a, like a plane ticket to Scotland just go away because of COVID, right? I'm not going to talk anymore on that, too personal. Anyways, uh, and so today, today we're talking about this, what we labor for, what we labor for, uh, and we're talking about your job, your work. Uh, Some of you may think that I had you specifically in mind while I'm teaching today. I promise you I didn't I'm just faithfully teaching the text Uh, And whether you're in an office though uh, Working out of your home, maybe your home is your work uh, or maybe you're you're a stay-at-home parent Whatever that looks like we are all called to labor in work in a certain way It doesn't necessarily mean you're collecting a paycheck, but but we all have a labor about our lives And today we find out what solomon has to say about it and uh uh, and to stay on theme, it's a little depressing. <laughs> but uh, we've laced all the communion with Xanax, so by the end of the service, you're going to feel great. Uh, you're going to be just fine. Uh, you just peel that thing back, it's all going to be great. Anyhow, um, so let me pray. I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, we can't break the seal on these things, neither can you, right? It's hard enough as it is. Um, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll jump into Ecclesiastes. We'll be in chapter chapter 2. Father, um, we're about to open up your holy word a word preserved for us through the millennia in a, frankly, miraculous fashion that we might fall more in love with you, that we might hear the story of your great love for us. And so, Father, we know when we read verses like this, frankly, uh, maybe maybe tough verses here in Ecclesiastes and, and kind of uh, maybe opening up our souls, God, we know that you have life for us, that your intention for us is is, is to have life to the full. And so, God, would you illuminate that for us this morning, would you? Would you soften us, till the soil in our hearts a little bit here, God, that we might grow in you. Father, we love you. Uh, we trust you here this morning. I mean, who else? What other name are we going to gather under, God, but yours? And we love you. Amen? All right, I hope you mean that this morning. Um, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18. I hated, oh, we're off to a great start, right? I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me. Here's what's interesting about this, because who's writing this? Solomon. How hard did Solomon have to work for what he had? 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Indeed, this is David talking, his father. Indeed, I have taken much trouble... To prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also. Talking to Solomon, he says, now you may add to them. Right. So David has left through his military career, his mater- and, the, and the, the favor of God has accumulated a, immense wealth for Judah. And, and so Solomon just really gets to hear that, and Solomon's like, uh, well, you know, he's like, he just, he's handed it all, but but he's saying this. he didn't really have to work hard for him." I'm like, bro, what are you complaining about? Like, you didn't necessarily have to work for what you had. So all you had to do, Solomon, was be wise. But what did he do? It's, in, it's in, this inherited wealth from David to build the temple. That's what David wanted to do. He says, I've gathered all this stuff. I want you to build the temple of God. Here's what Solomon did. He brought in Tons of other temples to other pagan worship from all across the region, all to settle in to Judah like a plague, like a plague in idolatry. It was almost never at its highest in Israel. It was crazy. And at the end of Solomon's life, I think he's writing these words. And I think it's his own realization of what prompts us into this next verse. Of he looks at what he had and 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 he says, You'll just hand it down to someone else, someone to come after you. And then he says in verse 19, and who knows whether they'll be wise or foolish. I think he's looking at his own life just seeing the foolishness that he, that he did with his own wealth. He says, yet they will be master for all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. All, this also is vanity. He say, man, I had all the wisdom in the world, but it was, I took all this, all this stuff, all the, all the promise, all the favor, and, and I squandered it. Um, and he says, this was me. I took what my father had and I squandered it. The toil was in vain. He had a vision for one God, worship of Yahweh here in Jerusalem, that the temple would be built and be magnificent, and I took it, and I took his wealth, his influence, and worse, I took the calling of God on my own life, and I just squandered it, trying to frankly please all these concubines and the worship that they had of their own homes as he brought in all of these concubines and wives, and they said, well, what about my God, what about my God, and all these temples shot up. For all the wealth you gain, amass, pass down, eventually it ends up where you have no control. It just does. And beyond that, no one is going to care whether you're the one that gave it to them or not. They just won't. I mean, the, the estates that, that we've built and handed down through generations, and we keep saying this over and over in this whole series, but you know it's like, who are your great-great-grandparents? I mean, like, maybe you found out because you went and visited, like, Poland or someone in your family did, and you figured that out. But, like, how much do we really care? Like, what do we really know about those people? How much will people know about you just, you know, three generations from now? I, I honestly could not tell you the names of my great-grandparents. And eventually, this is, this is the state for us. Eventually, someone will come in and they'll. I mean, if Sarah and I died on the way home today, all right? If we died on the way home today and Liv's trust went into effect, all right? I know, this was weird to make. When I made this, I just had to pause in my sermon prep, and I was like, that's just a weird thing to look at. Um, the tombstone pick, that is. Um, that doesn't actually exist. For the, well, I'm sure it does somewhere. There's a lot of work. Anyways. Um, if we died and, and Liv got all the money from our trust, like right now, you know, and she grew up, and we, we have a tier trust, y'all don't need to know how we've trusted all that, but anyways, um, and, and, she, and she gets, you know, all of my life insurance, and all that fun stuff, how would she use it? Am I there? to say, babe, you don't, you don't want those kind of wedding decorations, trust me, um, you know, but let's say, right, she, say she wants to go to college, fantastic, you know, and so she wants to use that trust money to pay for a college education, and let's just assume, by God's grace, that she uses the degree that she earned, you know, uh, let's just assume she goes and majors in something, you know, and, uh, and she does that. Awesome, great. Then let's say she meets the one, and she wants to use that trust money to, to pay for the wedding of her dreams, you know, that daddy couldn't be there for and, and so amen, you know, live, go, go pay for that. But then, but then, you know, say this man that she meets, like, say he went to, like, Texas Tech or something. <laughs> you know? Say he just... Say he just went to Tech, you know, and, and he moved down here from California, and, and, and so he's a Lakers fan, and like, you just let that settle in this dad heart of mine, right, so he wants to buy like you know jerseys of the lakers or maybe worse he's like a he's a, a he's a lebron james fan or something awful like that right and now he's a fan of some sellout and and like i'm dealing you know and from the graves like that's what he wants to do and and he wants to sell all of all of daddy's shotguns to buy like pokemon cards or <laughs> like i have no control all that i've worked for and labored for gone to lakers games god help me (laughs) i'm just saying you don't have any control over these things you have no control and if your ideal is to amass the wealth for the sake of amassing wealth and having stuff that dream is meaningless it's meaningless because eventually not only does it get pulled from your cold dead hands but it also becomes ash in the hands of those who come after you it just does. And even if it doesn't, I mean, like, even if it goes to like, really wise and awesome and great things that they, that they use, like, no one would really care that it was from you. <laughs> that is just vanity. Ecclesiastes 2, we'll continue on in verse 20. So I turned and gave my heart up to despair, concerning all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes one who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave it to one to be enjoyed by those who did not toil for it i'm just so he's saying even if you're wise about how you're doing this like, no, we've set up a trust we got it all covered it doesn't matter no matter how wise you are with it eventually it just kind of ends up getting ground into the whole mess of some all it takes is one bad investment that's all it takes and it's just all it's all gone he says, what do mortals, where did I leave off? This also is vanity and great evil. Let me throw that one in there. All right, uh, uh, verse 22. What do mortals get from the toil and strain which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain and their work is a vexation. Even at night, their minds do not rest. Amen. This also is vanity. He says, not only is your wealth gonna go to a Lakers fan, but, but it's also, it's also uh, uh, you're gonna struggle to get that like your life is going to be a toil to hand it over to them like you're going to struggle and work and and war with what you're setting your labor to only to get like it's going to cost you something it's going to be hard uh and it's going to cause you pain and frustration you will lose sleep over it right and and i think that's true for for so many of us like we will lose sleep okay how am i doing this is that is that taken care of we're talking about are they impressed enough by me and what and for what maybe even now in this little life, a a little more square footage on the blip that is your life until you die. And what? So, right, we raise up and and we get an education so we can get a job, so we can buy a house, so that we can get married, so that we can have kids, so that they can get an education, so they can get a job and buy a house, so they can meet the one and get married and and have children so that they can get an education and, and so that they can get a job and buy a house and get married so they can have kids. So why? So they can get an education, and he's saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're all gonna die. And this this whole cycle of, of all of this mess is vanity. It all fades, and if your work is your ultimate sense of identity to where you feel secure, this is your fate to labor and be forgotten. If you're a guest here this morning, I would love for you to fill out the Connect card. And, and welcome to Bannockburn. This is the place for you and your family. Be encouraged. Um, years ago, I saw, a, uh, um, I saw a documentary, and it was about this guy that, that became a master sushi you know, maker. Uh, there's a name for it. I just can't remember. Was, his name was Hero. Did anyone see this documentary? Right, where the, like, became, he became the best at the world of making sushi. He was a master sushiist. Um, And at first, you're like, man, it's a really beautiful documentary, the cinematography's awesome, and there's sushi everywhere, so you're like, amen, except for Rob. Um, I know you hate sushi. Anyhow, and so uh, so he dedicates his entire life, from the age of like nine, uh, out in Japan, he lives in Japan, uh, and and to making sushi. And at first, you're like, it's super cool, you know, to to, like set your life to something and master it. And at first, you're you're, like, that's what you're thinking, man, he's dedicated. Uh, But then it goes on, and you see him talk about how his parents were terrible parents and left him alone, and he was told, it's all up to you, like go on." And, and he had to make a life for himself, and he, and that's what he took, he said, it is, it's all up to me, and so it drove him into work, and there's a quote from him, and he says this, I will continue to climb, trying to reach the top, but no one knows where the top is, he's 85 at the time of the documentary, by the way, still doing this, and becoming the, ma- he was the, uh, well, whatever, um, and so he dove into his work, and a food critic there celebrated the fact that he only shuts down the restaurant on national holidays. And that's the only time that he's not working. And the food critic was just like, this is the example that, of, of what is honorable, right? Uh, the, and, and he got three, he was awarded three Michelin stars. The oldest person, the oldest chef ever to receive this rating from, from the Michelin system. Three stars. He was the best. He did it. He achieved it. In the documentary, he goes on to visit his ancestors at their graves uh, and he mocks that, which is, a, this is a big sacred act in Japanese culture, but, but he kind of says, I don't even know why I come out here. My parents, they didn't do anything for me. They didn't take care of me. Which is a little ironic because earlier in the, in the documentary, he says this, uh, a story about uh, when his kids were younger. And he says one time he slept in on the, like this very, very rare occasion he slept in. He didn't get to work early enough. And, he, and, and the kids woke up and they had to go ask their mom who the strange man was in their home. And I went and I remembered all of this, kind of logged away in my memory as I was just writing this sermon. And so and I wanted to go watch the documentary. So I went back, it was on Netflix, and so I went back to Netflix to watch it. But Netflix is taking it down now because it's just not interesting anymore and it's old news. He lost his three Michelin stars as well in the past ten years. And he now at the age of ninety-five still works almost every day making sushi. And the film never mentions his wife and it never mentions his faith. The entire film celebrates a man who mastered his craft but i feel like when i watch it all i see is a craft that mastered a man Mm. and my question for you this morning is who's your master who is your master for what do you labor he will die and his sushi restaurant will become like a stand for dvds or something It'll all fade. And you may choose to see that story differently, right? It's beautiful to be, you know, Mastercraft or whatever. That's not, I don't want to get into that this morning. But, and you're, you're, but the reality is this story is many of ours. I mean, if I had to ask you, apart from your job, apart from your family, right, who are you? Like, who are you really? And without all these church people watching and listening, right, if I in the depths of your heart, like, what really identifies you? Who do you really consider yourself To be, if the sum of you is primarily found in the achievement, in the success, the approval that you get from work, or what you produce at work, then it's all vain. Finding your worth in your work is a losing battle. I mean, play that out. If if that's where you find yourself, then if you succeed, right, then it goes to your head because you know it's all about you. My work is all about me, it's all about what I'm accomplishing, it's what I'm doing, it's me jocking for this, I'm going to make it, I succeeded, awesome, it goes to your head. Or, you fail, and it goes to your heart. You don't have anything to stand on, you have no identity, you have no security, you don't know where to sit. it it draws you into despair. Either way, it's a fickle identity, if this is where you're finding it. So then, why do we work? Everyone's like, this is awesome, I love this sermon, I'm going to go quit my job, come on babe, you know? So why do we do it? Why labor? Does God desire for us to work? Ecclesiastes 2, 24. Here's a little bit of hope for us. There is nothing better for mortals than to eat and drink. Amen! I mean, come on, any any of you know me, you're like, yep. Uh, uh, Yes, uh, this is a a great verse for us. Than to eat or drink and find enjoyment in their toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. That there is something about our toil that honors him and that is good. It says, for, but this is the important part for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Do you see the relationship? Man, you are meant to, to enjoy. Man, go from choice to prime. Awesome. Right? And, and you're meant to have that, to enjoy that, and to, and to enjoy the labor of your work, understanding. This part in verse 25, that for a part, that that this is from the hand of God, not whose hand, not your ridiculous, silly hands, but from the hand of God. For apart from this hand, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Right? It's God's design that you not only work, but that you find fulfillment in work. Finding joy in what you do is not a bad thing, it's a holy thing. That's a holy thing to be good at what you do. You should feel proud at a job well done, at a a lawn fresh cut with not a single blade out of place, right? But there's there's a pride to be found in that, that is holy and good and frankly pleasing to God. God put that sense of joy and fulfillment in that earthly heart of yours. The question is this, why do you work? What's behind that? What's behind the toil? Whose glory is on the line when you punch in that time card? Is it only yours? Are you like, what's behind this for you? Is it because you gotta take care of you? (laughs) You gotta get what's yours, you need to feel like you matter, you need to climb the ladder? you got to beat everybody else. This will rob you of the beauty and purpose of work. At the men's conference, we heard uh, Larry Osborne talk about potential, about reaching your potential. And frankly, the, the myth that is the lie that you have to reach your potential. But this is something we, we talk about. Like, what is potential anyways? Right? That you got to be the best. That you got to reach your full potential. Let me ask you, did Jesus reach his full potential? I mean, what, think about that. What was Jesus' potential? I mean, when he landed on the scene, what could that look like? When, when they took the rod to strike him, what could have been the narrative? He could have grabbed that sucker, broke it over his knee, called down the angels in multitudes of heaven and said, this is going to be different now, Pontius. Right? And he could have right right when they spit on him, what could he have done? He could have spit right back. And he could have turned it into some kind of weird acid that would have like melted his face, you know? Like, that was his potential. You realize that? Like, he could have just rained it down. He could have been like, all right, we're about to Sodom and Gomorrah, this joint, right, and just rained it down. And be like, we're creating it a lot. Rome, done. That was his potential. He ruled the earth. He created it. Does a man ripped to shreds, lying, bleeding out on a cross, look like reaching his full potential? No. So why did he do it? The Bible tells us he did it out of love and out of obedience. Out of obedience to the cross even. He went for it. Why? Because he had you in mind. He didn't care about his potential. He cared about you being made right with God. And so he did it. We do not need the best in the world. What we need is good, godly women and good, godly men being obedient and loving the Lord and loving those around them. I'm not saying that being a goat, the greatest of all time, and serving Jesus are mutually exclusive. They're not. But when you are reaching the top to gain glory for you, it's just misplaced passion. It's vanity. Even goats get forgotten eventually. So, how do we approach work? How can we make work? How can we make these toils of our hands? How can I make what I do every day with my kids at home? How can we make these things? How can we redeem them? What, is, what does it look like then, to honor God in them? How, how do we do that, that kind of taste and see that the Lord is good thing that he's talking about here in verse 25. Um, I, I have three like, quick points for us, just for like, kind of the application sake of, of what for me, and, and as I'm reading the scriptures, what does it look like for us to, to really press into work? The first thing is this: you realize that you don't need work. <laughs> You're like Matt. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Um, But but follow me with this. What you don't need for you don't need work for worth. You don't need to have this to have. You frankly you don't need much of anything to have worth. Why? Because you belong to the King, and when you have an inheritance like that, all the worth is already ascribed to you. And so you don't need you don't need the work. You don't need it. You also don't need a marriage to have worth. You do not need a pregnancy. You do not need a paycheck. And you do not need a home to have worth in the kingdom of God. We are children of the king. We are heirs to the kingdom of God, which gives us complete security. doesn't mean that that always hashes out into full joy always in our life, because those things are sometimes met with great pain. But that pain is found in a great security that comes in the foundation of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Isaiah 43 is probably one of my favorite pieces of Scripture. It's when we dedicated Liv. This was the verse I chose for her. He says this. He's speaking to Israel in Isaiah 43. He says, I who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, they will, uh, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia, Sheba in your place, saying, man, I'm giving countries in exchange for you. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men in exchange for you and people for your law. Fear not, for I am with you. This is who claims you. And when we belong to that, we realize that work is a great thing and a good thing, but not the thing. When you realize that you are free and found in Jesus, then, then it frees you from having to treat work like it's the means to the end. When you see that it's not all up to you, it loses its grip on you, its control over you. And when you see that you don't have to achieve to earn some petty favor, then you are free to fully embrace the way that we were meant to embrace work as worship, really. You realize that? Like, work is really an act of worship. And, uh, and you realize, I mean, did you know, like, work existed before the fall of man? Before sin entered the world, there was work. In Genesis chapter 2, he says this to Adam. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Additionally, God tasked him with naming the creature. He had, right, that that Adam had work. They were toiling there. They were set before. This is something that God put in Eden before the fall. This is why I believe personally that there'll be work in heaven. That we will have jobs. There'll be, I don't know what that looks like, you know, but I'll do I'll sweep the floors in heaven. I don't care. You know, like that's gonna be awesome. But there's there's gonna be something for us, some task set before us that this is God's design. That we would work. I don't know if you ever thought about that. I think I think I grew up always thinking, is lame, like like is, is heaven gonna be lame? Like what am I gonna do up there? Like all day? Are we just gonna sing all the time? Like, I don't know. You know, but but the more you look into the theology of heaven, the more you see, no, there's gonna be a lot to do. Some of you are like, thank the Lord. Because like, you know, like I, I wanna be I wanna do something up there, put my hands and work to something, and you will, you will up there, which will be awesome, it'll be fun. And so, yes, work honors God. We were made in his image. And so the more cre- like when you're creative at work, you realize that God was creative. He put that in you. And so when you work and you labor for His hands, that's you. That's you living into the image that you were created in. That's all that is. Which is, which is what makes it odd when we think that's about us. You you weren't made in your image. I mean, whatever. I guess in the never mind. Yes, that okay. I'm moving on. Second thing: be faithful. Be faithful. Work the work set before you and it will honor you. Uh, And I don't know where you're at in your career uh, or where you're at in in, in the home and maybe even as a stay-at-home parent uh, or or where you're at in the office, your home office, where that looks like. Maybe you want more for yourself. Maybe you want more for your life right now, more rooms, (laughs) Uh, maybe more followers, maybe you want more paycheck, maybe you want more influence, you want more status, you want more people to work under you, you want more, I don't know what that looks like. Um, but we are called to be faithful in the, God that, in the place that God has put us, to be content in where you are. Nothing ruins a witness faster than the Christian who is lazy at work and perpetually, dis- vocally discontent at work. And we're, right, what are they going to say when you finally say, hey, our church is so this? Aren't you the guy that just complains about our boss all the time? We're called to be content at work, to work hard, Colossians 3 will say it this way. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for yourself, for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You don't have to worry. You don't got to grasp all this stuff. You will have an inheritance. Don't worry. Stop freaking out. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You may not have the corner office. You're too out of college. (laughs) Relax. Again, when you see that at the end of your life, God's glory is what matters, then you won't have to freak out when you don't get the glory. Be faithful in the little and continue to work hard. You know where I learned to do ministry? Waiting tables. I waited tables for like three years. Johnny Carino, when I was going to A&M, I was working at Johnny Carino's. Um, and, and that's where I learned to do ministry. Why? Because you have to initiate. You have to be nice you have to serve, even when they're punks at table five, right? And you, and even though they have you know they have all this stuff, it's it's church work. <laughs> Y'all aren't punks. Y'all are awesome. And um, <laughs> right. I learned ministry bagging groceries at at H E B when I was in high school. For two years I bagged well, and checked and you know, checked and all that stuff. Why? Well, because every like two minutes, you have got a new first impression. Somebody's coming up to the line and, and they've got a whole set of different expectations and experiences and things that their day has handed at them. And if you were unfortunate enough to ask them, hey, how's your day been? Oh man, let me tell you. Also, I want paper, not plastic. Really? You want paper? Then you know how hard that is to bag in paper? Anyways right? But you do it. And I learned ministry, managing people's expectations. Man, these were, you know, where did did David learn to be king? On the throne? He learned to be king in the fields as a shepherd. Friends, never despise a humble beginning. It could be the thing filtering you to your calling. And so never despise those things where God starts you. Be faithful. Last thing, and we'll end here. Rest. Sabbath. Take a rest. Man. Um, Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. I know most of you realize that, that God commanded a day set apart that we would rest and, and know Him and acknowledge Him. Um, and it's one of the Big Ten Uh, right up there with, don't kill people, don't sleep with other people that aren't your husband or wife, and also take a nap. I mean, like, this is, like, this is where he put it. Like, don't worship other gods, also sleep. Holy cow. (laughs) But here's what's weird about the Sabbath, right, is when we're talking about, like, you know what, that's really, right, and even I say that, you're like, you're right, I I should try to implement that in my life. But you would never say, about the commandment, thou shalt not kill. You know what, I should really try to implement that. You know, when I go home tonight, I'm really gonna try to implement not having a whole bunch of other temples in my house to other gods. I think I'm gonna try to implement that in my house. You know, at work, I should really try to implement me not just sleeping around everywhere. Like, no one says that about these things. Yet, when it comes to the the Sabbath, the commandment to rest, we say, I should try to implement that. Hear me. If you are not observing the Sabbath, you don't just implement, you repent and you obey. Some of you, that's the only thing you needed to hear this morning. If you are not implementing the Sabbath, that is a call to repentance. And we begin to repent. We say, Lord, I have not been observing this. And it's a call to repentance and now to obey him in that being a workaholic is not courageous it is the easy way out for escaping things that you don't actually want to deal with and what did god do just after making adam and eve like right when he was done with eve creation was done that is when he creates the sabbath it was in that moment that he rested It was after all, which means this. That means Adam and Eve started their existence in rest, not in work leading to rest. Understand, your work is birthed out of your rest, not the other way around. That's a very different way to shift your week. When when you see that the rest is what fuels your work, not I'm going to work and then I can rest. That's not how we view it. The rest informs the work. Your work does not inform your rest. Resting is a way of acknowledging that it's not all about you. You see that? Because right, that's why we don't rest, because we know it's like we're sacrificing something, we're not getting something done, that's not going to happen. If I don't, then that means something won't happen. And then what? And then what? You won't be taken care of, and then you won't have this thing. What you're saying is it's all up to you. That's what not rest means, is that there's not actually a God seated on the throne that cares about me. And you can disagree with me on that all you want, but I feel like that's, that's really the summation of when work becomes your master, work becomes your master. And rest is a way of acknowledging that it's not all about you. And it's a call to trust God. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's saying, God, you're right. I mean, like, you know, he, you know when he created the Sabbath, too? I mean, or when he instituted it in the Ten Commandments? When did that happen? That wasn't necessarily at creation. He did it after the Exodus or in the middle of it. Right, there, right? God had just rescued them from all these things, right? He caused these 10 plagues to come into to Egypt where they were all captive. And he did this, this amazing thing and came in. And then, and then they, they, were, they came to the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea for them. He said, y'all can, what are y'all going to do here? Y'all going to die unless I do something. I will part that sea and you will walk through it. I'll make it like dry land they come across and then they're starving they're like what do we do what do we do he's like fine and in this quail and all the manna they strike a rock and water comes from it and he's providing for them and so that's when moses goes up to the mountain he brings down these rules and says man you need to rest keep my sabbath holy because it reminds us of his faithfulness to us that's why he did it you you remember that you did not get you here but it has been the act of me, it has been my hand that has led you from Egypt into the promised land. And that's why he did it, to remind us of the work of his hands. And to not make it about the work of our own. And so he made it, and they and they made it into a meal. They made it into Passover. That's what they celebrate. Not just that the angels have passed over from them, but, but that they, they recount Egypt would take this meal, the path they would sit before and they would, and they would recount. God moving in their midst to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves and to bring them into the promised land. And so Jesus maintains this meal. He takes it on that night with his disciples and he took and he took that promise of of God doing for them what they couldn't do for yourself. If you would, you can just, if you don't have one of these, could you raise your hand real quick? We've got a a deacon. I'll make sure you snag one. We've got a few around. Carrie and Scott will get you one. But when he takes this at that meal with the Passover, they're remembering here, just right before Jesus is, is about to die, and and he's he's recounting the meal with them. Uh, and he's reidentifying now himself as that person. Where now I will do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. Now you have a different, you will have a different identity in deliverance. And it won't just be this Passover and and, and God moving in that way. We'll remember that. But also now I'm about to do something for you. I'm going to pass over into darkness that you will never have to. And that I'll rise from the grave. And so now when we do this meal together, we remember that it's not all up to us. That we have a God who cares about you. And that wants more for you. That we have a Holy One, the King of Kings who lamented, that lamented that night, Lord, may this please pass from me. Is there another way for this sacrifice to happen? And as he lamented, he relented and said, okay, but your will be done. And he drank the full cup of God's wrath that we would never know the taste of it. For us, that was his hand. You can rest and not find your identity in your work. That's what that means. That we have a God who sits on the throne. And that grants us a tremendous amount of peace. Um, so if you would, you can peel back. What I want you to do is just hold the, the bread in your hand here. Um, we can experience the richness of his grace. Do you know that? I mean, that's for you. And, and maybe, maybe in here this morning, you've just wandered far off from this. As even you know, I've been talking, you're like, man, what have I been doing with work? What has it meant for me? How have I found my identity in it? And maybe, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe, maybe when you leave here, or maybe in, in, in past Sundays when you've left here, frankly, the Bible, it'll go back into the back seat. Maybe it'll go back into the closet, and maybe you'll come back out again next Sunday because frankly, frankly, the word of God just doesn't have any bearing on your life or your career. Maybe that's just where it's ignored because your version of God is really small. And I hope what you hear this morning is that it couldn't be farther from the truth. That God is not small. And maybe you think that your boss is bigger than him, that you're bigger than him, that your career is bigger than him. Maybe you think that the culture is bigger than him, the world is bigger than him. And I hope you're seeing today that that's not the case at all. And maybe you're wrong. And that's okay. (laughs) That's okay because Jesus loves to pursue and extend his sacrificial love to those of us who are wrong. I mean, I've been there. And this morning I pray that in this meal you see that there is a God on the throne who wants to take care of you and delights in you and in chasing after you. So let me just remind you of a few things. It's not all up to you. It's not all up to you. God is ri- you know, God is writing your story. I mean, think about that. I mean, wouldn't that that's the story I want? Do I want the story I'm writing? That'd be lame. God is writing your story, that he has you in mind. He's not a boss that you have to impress or manipulate for his favor and his love. But he delights in you. And he delights in your work too. As it honors him, as you give him glory in that. And now we have an invitation to delight in him. And that's this meal, as we delight in him and his presence in our lives. And so on that night, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he'd given thanks, he took it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and drink. This is the blood of the new covenant, my blood shed for you for the goodness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen? Amen. Don't quit your jobs. I have a building to pay for, all right? Why don't you all stand up? and Kidding. May the meal encourage you this morning? May just the taste on those lips, would you just remember the Lord's heart and provision for you and care for you that, that you can rest in what he offers you, that you just like just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God has you. He has you. Father, we come again to you here today and and we just, maybe some of us in this room, we just need to confess and come before you and maybe the best thing we could do, God, in here is, is repent and obey. We do not want to implement your idea and design into our lives, God. We want them to inform how we engage the world. And so, God, in this meal and in your grace and through your word, would you draw us into you? Would you draw us into you, God? We just would be be encouraged by you. Would we get that sense and that remembrance and that knowledge that the Holy Spirit dwells within me? I do not have to make my life about clawing for anything, especially for your favor or your grace. And so God, inform us and and, and remind us that, that these things are for our joy. Your, your call to have us rest is not to oppress us, God, but to stir our affections for you, God. And so in any way we need to do that, God, would you stir us in you? Would this week, especially as we ironically, might even think about this, celebrate Labor Day tomorrow. <laughs> would we just take a minute to remember what you have instilled in us? I mean, the fact that we need a national holiday, one day a year to, Lord, help us. Help us to rest and find our identity in you. Amen? Would y'all go today with the Lord's blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. with the Lord look upon you with his favor and grant to you his everlasting peace? Amen? Amen. We'll see y'all next week.